Thank you for joining us today. Always a pleasure. We are definitely delighted to have you. Um, I'm very pleased that you've accepted <clears throat> my humble request to join us this evening. Tell us uh, what made you interested in becoming a priest and dedicating your life to the church? Well, you yourself are a man of God, a man of religion. You understand deep in your heart that when one has found something, that pearl of infinite price, that treasure of infinite price, one is willing to give up everything, the world, for that treasure. And as with you, so with me, from an early age, I was brought up in a family of devout, a devout family, where God was a part of our daily lives and, and was a natural part of our lives. There was no force. And so I, from an early age, saw priests in my own city in Cape Town in South Africa who were truly good men and who lived lives of hardship but worked hard and loved their work and loved people and who were who were available to people who were living in a very difficult situation back in South Africa in the 60s and the 70s it was particularly difficult and that these men many of them from overseas lived hard and deprived lives in order to serve the faithful and and therefore they were for me a model and and I automatically felt that's what I want to do. So for me, it was never a, a difficult decision. It was, it was something I wanted from the beginning. Uh, what age did you decide to uh, devote yourself to the Holy Mother Church? I, I think I was about six or seven. Um, of course, as a six oh, or wow. seven-year-old, one has a basic idea, a very simple idea, which grows and develops. But I can remember as a young child, being somewhat in awe of these men who, especially the missionaries, who were truly good men. And, and I, I remember saying, I want to imitate them, even as a child, a very simple idea, which then developed and matured over the years. So it's been a long time for me, really. It's very interesting for me, and I'm sure for our audience, to also know what life is like for uh, an individual that lives uh, in the Vatican, in the seminary, teaches there and, and carries on his daily activities? Well, in all honesty, I don't quite live in the Vatican. I live just outside it because the Vatican, although it's very is small, state, very yeah. small, you don't want too many yeah. people crammed in. Absolutely. So I live outside of the Vatican, but I work for the Vatican. I'm a, a, a member of the Vatican staff. I live in a, a college which trains um, men and women um, in Islamic studies, in classical Arabic, and in uh, Islam, uh, Islamic studies, and all the disciplines of Islam, of Kalam, Hadith, Fiqh, all of them. Um, and we're training people, uh, mostly people who are living in Islamic countries and working there, and who we think should have a thorough knowledge of the language and the culture and the faith of the majority of people among whom they're living. So we're not training people to convert. That's not, never been our issue. We're quite strict about that. And when students apply to us, we always, we always try to find out their motives because we are an academic institute who wants to promote healthy, holy, substantial dialogue with Islam as a way of, of increasing peace rather than friction. So I live in the college and I train students in, I myself teach, of course, Shi Islam, that is my field. And, but I also teach in a second seminary where I teach Christian theology as well as, of course, in Islamics. 
Um, and that's, that's a younger group of men, all of whom are training to be priests, whereas the men and women I train in this college are some of them married, some of them already priests, some of them have lived in the, in the Islamic countries for a long time. Uh, and, and so it's, it's a healthy mix. I have a, a healthy mix of people with, with a variety of specialities. Very well. I think you did uh, kind of answer our, uh, our next question that we had in the list. But I'd like for you to further uh, kind of elaborate on why would the Vatican be interested uh, in um, learning about Islam, specifically Shia Islam, um, and um, what is it? And, and next, you can tell us what it is. What is it that actually invited you personally to uh, study Islam and uh, particularly Shia Islam? So really, from about the 1960s, um, mid-1960s, the church began to take great interest in dialogue. And dialogue until then was a secular concept. It was not a religious concept. Interreligious dialogue didn't really exist fundamentally before the 60s. And in, from the church's point of view in the 60s, with the, the council, the Great Vatican Council, dialogue with a variety of religions, the monotheistic faith firstly, but then also other non-monotheistic faiths became quite an important issue for the church. And part of that was the training of specialists. Because if you want to be involved in dialogue, you need to know well the faith of the person you're dialoguing with so that you don't play guessing games and so that you don't uh, treat anything holy with disrespect. And you know to, need to know your own faith well enough too. So from the 60s and the 70s, we began to open colleges to train specialists in a variety of religions and our own college, which didn't begin here, it began in Tunisia. And then unfortunately, um, after independence, we were thrown out as were many people because we were seen as part of the, the European colonialist set. And I understand that. And we came to Rome. Um, I studied here myself because as a South African priest, I was living in an area surrounded by, by, by mosques and by Muslim community. Almost every member of my own parish had at least one family member who converted to Islam. And I remember saying to people, well, they are still part of the family. We need to be as welcoming to them as we are to, to the non-Muslim members. And, and we need to understand Islam so that we treat people with respect. So I came to Rome to study Islam generally. And I did a very short course, a regrettably short course on Shi'i Islam, and of course was introduced to Al-Hussein and to Karbala. And I, I still believe that once people have heard the story of Karbala, but really heard it properly told, it is very hard for that to slip from the memory or from the mind. And I, I, the moment I heard about Karbala, I knew I was going to dedicate the rest of my life to studying and researching Shi'i Islam and teaching it as well. Teaching it to non-Muslims, not to Muslims who know it well enough, but to non-Muslims who might be interested to, to discover some of the fascinating parallels between Shia faith and Catholic faith. What do you think is the greatest commonality between Catholicism and Shi'ism? It's hard to pinpoint one. I think, first of all, both faiths have I say at the center, but understand what I mean at the center. Both faiths have at the center of their piety an extraordinary woman, female figure. In Catholicism, it is, of course, the Lady Mary. In Shia Islam, it is 
the Lady Fatima. And I don't in any way denigrate the Lady Zainab, for whom I have great devotion, but the Lady Fatima certainly has a very specific role. Now, these two women are both mothers of martyred sons whose lives were taken from them forcibly by unjust people, mothers who wept with enormous grief over their sons, and one of whom, Lady Mary, was still alive when her son was killed. Lady Fatima was not, obviously. And two women who have extraordinarily powerful intercessory prerogatives given them by God. In other words, they make intercession by God's permission. This is clear in Catholicism and in Islam. Um, so, so already you have these two female figures who are extraordinary. They're not divine, quite patently, but they have a you can call it isma if you want to, or you can call it impeccability, or whatever you want to call it. We, we share that idea, we just do use different language. Both of them also have these two extraordinary male figures, Al-Hussein and Jesus. Now, I'm always very careful in drawing parallels because Hussein is not another Jesus, and Jesus is not another Hussein. They are two unique individuals whose adherents make unique claims about them, but for whose adherence they are, are men of extraordinary power. Um, so for, for Catholics, the person of Jesus who gives his life for a whole lot of reasons, not just for one thing, for Shi'i Muslims, the murder of the Prophet's grandson on the field of Karbala is, is the same moment shared uh, with a, a different understanding of the person involved, but no less emotion and and devotion. So you already have there in these two figures enormous parallels between Shia and that's why all over the world even now Catholic Shia dialogue is a very strong dialogue. Um, <clears throat> we have regular groups coming from various parts of Iran here. We have groups going across to Shia communities in various places. It's an ongoing and a very good dialogue. What is it that most fascinates you specifically about Shia Islam or Shia Islam? Oh. Oh, without doubt, it is Karbala. That, that is not even an issue for me. And, and when I say Karbala, I also mean the various characters and personalities who populate that historical moment. Um, so, so besides Al-Hussein,